You're listening to The Idea Fountain, and I'm Julie Pilot. So Andrea Markham changed my life in more ways than one. On this episode of The Idea Fountain, Life-Changing Conversations, we'll be catching up with her and talking about her new book, Close to Ohm. I, I didn't do yoga before I moved to L.A., and for the longest time, I thought yoga was just a trendy L.A. thing. I didn't realize that it's the only workout I've ever done that actually gave me more energy when I finished than I had before I started. But this isn't an episode on yoga. And it's not an episode on meditation or om, like people chant at the beginning or end of yoga classes. It's an episode about a person who, through her craft and coaching, has made me digest life at a totally different speed. Andrea's classes are known as some of the toughest in town. In her class, I learned to allow myself to take breaks so I wouldn't burn out or give up. It's a lesson I've carried with me through my work and career. Even this year, Andrea led me to a huge breakthrough. When Andrea's book came out, it was funny. There's a picture of me doing yoga in it. So does that make me a yoga model? Felicia at LA Yoga Magazine asked me to write a review of Andrea's book. It was my first ever book review. Does that officially make me a writer? And then as a contributor in LA Yoga Magazine, I was featured And they had me give tips on my healthy life hacks. Does that make me a health expert? I mean, I've taken a thousand yoga classes at least over the years. I've even built and orchestrated summers of community yoga events. I've traveled the world doing yoga. However, I still can't do a handstand and I don't rock Lululemon. All of these random things that happen had me feeling pretty official. But then I realized, who's keeping the scorecard? I am. I am. Andrea, this book is a huge accomplishment. We're here to celebrate you tonight. It's close to OM, yoga on and off your mat. So exactly what does that mean to you? Well, um, it's a huge question. (laughs) Let's start with a big one. Yeah. Oh, it's all in the book. Uh, well, I think that yoga can start on your mat for sure. There's something very tactile about climbing onto your mat. And you, you know, you, you're confronted with yourself. You're confronted with your tight hamstrings. You're confronted with your wandering mind. You're confronted with your annoyance of the person next to you on the mat, no matter who they are. Uh, you're confronted with your bra strap that's not working or what. So it just becomes this sort of... Um, metaphor for life because those things happen all the time and then when you start to move through the poses you realize that it's just like moving through life and I say it a lot in the classroom but how you do your yoga is how you do your life and so the reflection becomes this really rich tool uh, that starts maybe in your first down dog where you're like why am I nauseated this doesn't look hard when other people do it Um, And reconciling that and learning how to 
meet yourself where you are and to take that kind of a quality into when you're in traffic or when you're up for a job or you're anticipating a first date to learn how to just meet yourself where you are and take that yoga with you off your mat, the things that have been a revelation on your mat and integrate them into your life. And that is, in fact, what this, what this book is about and what was inspiring to me about writing the book is I think a lot of times um, you take a yoga class and you're just like, what is this supposed to mean? Everyone else is more flexible than I am or whatever, you know, the things that I've heard for all the years of my teaching. And it, it, uh, it really is this... Um, a, it's an opportunity to to learn about yourself in ways that will um, stay with you long after you you roll up your mat. One of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my life happen in your class. Um, you're known for having some of the hardest classes around town, and um, I a hundred percent started going by peer pressure. And it was really hard because I was an entry-level yogi and I was in this class and I could barely hold my arms in warrior two for more than five breaths. And um, one of the things I always used to zero in on was there was a guy in the class, Julio, who had these amazing tattoos. Julio uh, looked super punk rock. He had unbelievable artwork up and down his sleeves. And as I was trying not to focus on how much my arms would were hurting, I'd look at Julio. But I also started noticing that he was in Shavasana for a lot of the class, like just laying down on the floor. And there was even one class I went to where he was in Shavasana for the entire 90 minutes of the class. Yes, he was. And I kind of was thinking, isn't he going to get in trouble? (laughs) (laughs) You know, is she mad? And it didn't seem to bother Andrea one bit. And it was many years later, I became friends with Julio, and I found out in those days, he was battling some really serious addiction issues. And he knew as he was going through withdrawals, if he went to your class and even if he just laid on the floor for 90 minutes, he was in a much better place. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was so powerful. And it gave, it kind of gave me permission, right? With all the other things going on in my life, it's okay. Like yeah. I'm there. Yeah. And it always stuck with me. And as I was reading your book, I love there's a phrase you use again and again that you've got to stop before you start. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that whole concept. Well, um, yeah, I mean, when we start a class, we climb into a pose, something like a child's pose or something that kind of drops you in. And it's a somatic experience, too. And I think that's one thing that's really important about yoga is that, um, you know, the most obvious thing in the world is to sit and meditate, but that's really hard to do. So if you involve your body, it, it, it becomes something that that's more holistic. But to stop the madness of like trying to find your parking place and all those kinds of things, and just land where you are seems like the most obvious thing in the world to say. But it's really tricky to do when you're embroiled in life. And so stop is really to stop, to take a deep breath, to observe and then to pause before proceeding. And we just don't tend to do that until we do. And so 
yeah, it is a safe space. I mean, hopefully in a yoga room is a safe space where we all can, we don't have to try to fill it up. We don't have to try to talk or one-up each other or impress anybody. It's a place where you stop, whether that's the madness of addiction or whatever else is going on. But for every one of us, there's something going on. There just is. But to find a place where you can pause long enough that you're not in this cycle of reaction and that you can cultivate a response. And a response comes from who we really are. Uh, And that's really what I think yoga is, is it's an archaeological dig. It's an excavation of getting back to source and getting to who we really are. And in order to do that, we have to stop the chaos and start to get a little more clear about who we really are. And that's so hard. It's scary. It means you're going to have to hang out in the question because you're probably not going to know who you are instantly. Uh, In fact, I guarantee that you're not going to. And the starting part is kind of a reconciliation. The starting part is really that you have to um, accept where you are to a great extent, accept who you are, so that you can celebrate that in new directions. Um, But without stopping and awakening to it, in fact, the book is organized as Awaken, Transform, and Unite. So there's three different sections to it. And the stop to start is a part of that awakening, that awakening to what's really going on. And, you know, we spend a lot of time making sure that we're not paying attention or tapping in, tuning into that. And so once we have, a, have had that awakening, we can start to figure out what it is to transform. And transform is like this monster word and concept, and it's scary, and it feels like it's probably going to be too much work, and maybe I can't do it. Um, but I think the significance of a yoga studio and, and what I hope that I have taken a deeper dive into in this book is that we need to create a space where it is okay to stop and not have the answers and be quiet and do our thing together so that when we start, it really is from a genuinely new, we're transforming what was, uh, which is going to take a little time and it's going to get a little messy but then we unite with that idea of source. Uh, we unite with what that next possibility is. And, um, and it, it, it's just not going to happen if it's reckless and we keep spinning our wheels the same way. It really has to be a place that we stop. And how did this affect you personally, some of these concepts, whether it's stop before you start or awaken, transform, and unite? It feels like because I know you, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of parallels in the story about how your book came to be. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> a little market research. Yeah, research yeah, indeed. Um, well, I mean, the, the book came to be about 10, 10 years ago. I was writing articles, and somebody said, you should write a book. You should make these a book. And so I got an agent, and we went out to um, publishers, and I was turned down by absolutely everyone we went out to. Uh, and I sort of limped away and gave up on it. And then I was on retreat in Correa's, Mexico, which you've been to many times with me. And uh, while we were on the beach, one of my students asked me what my passion was. And without missing a beat, I said, it's my book. And then almost apologetically, I was like, but I've given up and, you know, never mind. And Someone else on the retreat said, you should meet my sister-in-law. She's an agent in New York. 
And it happened that I was going to New York to be on a, a panel for the Yoga Journal Conference the next week. And so I met with Jane, the sister-in-law yoga uh, uh, agent. And for the next two years, we wrote the proposal. And I don't mean the book. I mean the pitch, like the proposal. So I would wake up every morning at four and I would work on it and write it. And I'd turn it into her and she would tear it down to the studs. <laughs> and I would have to start all over again and she would give it back to me. And I think some, something like six months in, she said, um, Andy, I don't think we have a formal contract, do we? And I figured I'd sort of passed a test. Like I had been kicked down enough times and made my way back up that probably we were moving forward. And at the same time, I had my studio, U Studio. And when I opened my studio, the marketplace for yoga was a little bit different. There wasn't a yoga studio like literally on every corner the way that it is now. And that had started to come up and I was having a really hard time staying afloat. So here I was up at four in the morning working on a proposal that was getting torn down and trying to keep my head above water with my, with my studio at the same time. Um, and I decided uh, I needed to close my studio when the lease ran out. Um, but I didn't realize that I had signed a lease that was two years longer than I realized. And so the landlord insisted on $100,000 and wouldn't budge. So I'm working on my proposal, and I can feel, as I mention book stuff to my family, that no one really wants to have that conversation with me. Like, it's so embarrassing. Andy, please, just give up. We don't want to see this happen again where you're rejected. Um, and it's not the sexiest place to be, you know, in a, in a studio that you, you're doing this and with an idea that's like uh, desire to, do, to write a book that, that people are clearly falling off of the, the plan from. Um, but... Then we, um, well, for one thing, my husband managed to get, get it down to $30,000 in debt. So I wandered $30,000 in debt to become a substitute teacher at Yoga Works 16 years into my teaching career. Um, and we then went out to publishers again. And this time it went to auction, which means that there were multiple publishers and like bigger publishers than I had allowed myself to dream about interested and one year to the day that I went $30,000 in debt and got out of my lease and became a substitute teacher at YogaWorks, uh, I signed my, my book deal. So um, I just think it's really important to tell stories like this because on the outside, people think things happen instantly. And in this world of instant information, everybody thinks that it should be um, instant as well. And we don't really want things to be instant. We want to take the time to make them good. Um, and, I mean, hopefully this is good. Certainly there were a few more publishers the second time around who thought that it was than the first time. Um, and I think that also uh, it, it reminds me of the Thich Nhat Hanh quote of no mud, no lotus, that we have to hang out in the mud and we have to, to sort of encourage each other to stay in the mud because without the mud, the lotus can never grow. Um, or as I say in the book many times, that um, oftentimes when we think we're buried, we've actually been planted. So all the things that I went through, all the drafts that I went through, all the, the fight that I went through to make the book happen, really, um, I, I think, made it the best book it can be. And when the, like just last week when it came out, what I realized is that it's so weird when you put a book out into the world. You just don't know. But the only thing you do have is like, well, I spent 10 years and I have the calluses and I think it's the best job I could do. So if it doesn't sell, at least I feel like I know I invested the time 
to, to do a good job. So that my, my point being, all of us, Julio, uh, every one of us on our mat, we're buried somehow, or we're convinced that we're feeling buried, but we're actually planted, and we can help each other feel planted and hang with it long enough to, to see it to its blossoms. And the longer it takes to blossom, the more beautiful it's going to be, and the more um, you're going to trust that it really is what you meant to plant the first time, you know? That is incredible. And speaking of the book, okay. um, I heard somebody <laughs> had said you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but oh boy, this cover. Yes. I mean, this book is absolutely <laughs> beautiful. I love that the book is a bit self-help, a bit yoga history lesson. It's a comedy. It's a love story. It's a really great workout. And there's this additional component. Talk about the at-om community. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, Patricia Pena took the, the book, uh, the picture on the cover of the book that should be judged by its cover. Um, and uh, the at-om community, a lot of um, the galvanizing that I'm talking about, like seeing each other through it, we, we felt it in U-Studio, and that was one, one giant takeaway from having a, a studio that I didn't anticipate was just to what extent community lights me up and how important it is to me that it be inclusive and that everyone feel invited to the party and that accessibility is just like kind of um, an ex- obsession of mine. Um, and, and so I, I think that... Uh, when I closed the studio, it was sort of like blasting the the walls off the studio and 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 having a larger embrace. And at home is audio, uh, like each chapter, there's a narrative, there's an on your mat segment, and then there's an on your own segment. So you take the story and it introduces like a philosophical point. And it takes it walks it into a pose for you, or maybe a sequence of poses, and then into your life in the on your own. And the on your mat part of it, there is an audio. Um, I say read through it, and then hop over to close to ohm.com, and there's audio instruction. So that is there. That lives at ohm, and also the community is a, a place where we can um, all come together. Where we can communicate about our experiences of going through the close to ohm process and anything else. It's a touch point. And it, it to me, is U-Studio in digital form. Uh, and that's really important to me because there, there was, you know, a lot of sadness in closing a brick and mortar, um, but not if we're just growing our family, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm curious with you, uh, you started out as a competitive gymnast. I did. And so many, so long ago, so many people (laughs) in yoga, though, um, focus on the handstands, the arm balances and, you know, these really, really tough poses. It made me feel a lot better when I found out you were a gymnast. (laughs) Like, oh, that's why I can't do that. (laughs) But I'm curious, when you first started doing yoga yourself, when did you shift to have it be more about the yoga off your mat instead of just Mm -hmm. competitively, can I do? what the teacher's doing or the person over there or Lori it's funny (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah I agree with the Lori thing um I just said this actually in class yesterday that that I think when I first started doing yoga I was pretty sure that everybody was in class just to watch me doing yoga I was pretty sure that's what they were at that I was you know it was a show I I think that 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 performance thing um and and they obviously were not but I I think it took me um, a while of getting that kind of competitive spirit out of me. And I think it was the stop to start businesses that 
um, even though it hadn't been spelled out that way to me, when you have to spend time with yourself on your mat, um, like I said, you have to reconcile a few things. And the longer I've done it, the more I've realized that the competitive spirit, you know, what, where does it, it doesn't mean that you don't want to better yourself. There's a lot of yoga philosophy that actually lives in the book about um, things like sankalpa, which is setting an intention but realizing that we're perfect and whole as we are now and improving upon that. Or santosha, which is a deep-seated sense of contentment even as we improve ourselves. So those kinds of like softening agents of, of realizing that if you're constantly comparing yourself to somebody else, you're not going to get out of the mud. You're going to be caught in the mud. Um, and and it, took, it took a while, and I think it probably was into my teaching years where I started to realize that, that the competition part of it didn't belong on my yoga mat or like even I think as a teacher, and I think that's kind of an important thing in this day and age, there's a lot of yoga teachers, and, um, and we need to support each other as yoga teachers and go to each other's classes and learn from each other and celebrate each other. So... Um, I've talked about with the idea fountain, I'm interviewing only people that have changed my life. And there are two things I've got from your classes that stick with me all the time. I say them all the time. I think about them all the time. And, um, one is you already mentioned how you do one thing is how you do everything. Hmm. That got me because in the U studio days, uh, you know, there was a little nook we called the VIP room. Uh, that we would hang out in. (laughs) And sometimes when you went away from the nook and you were adjusting somebody on the other side of the room, you couldn't see if I just got some water or (laughs) maybe did put my arms down. And, uh, you know, then I would hear the how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I realized I was cheating. (laughs) Um, You know, how, like, you know, is that something that's really important to you? How does that show up, like the whole? Oh, for sure. I mean, um, I mean, it's, it's, it, I see it in my own practice, but I see it in the classroom all the time. I mean, you just, you, it really is how you do your yoga is how you do your life. Um, you know, if, if your tendency is to sort of give up before you need to, that's going to show up. Or if you, if it's the competition thing, and I mean, you know, I do teach a rigorous class, so that type A brethren of mine is in my room, and I see them all the time with their extra chaturangas, and the whole, like, I know it, I see you, I am you, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. So, um, but, but that's part of that reconciliation, that's sort of that have a little chuckle about, oh, I am that person that gives up early. Isn't that interesting? Because I did that the other day at work. Or I, ga- I did that with that last person I dated. Or whatever it is. Or just like trying to power through and realizing that you're missing the nuance. Uh, and that maybe that's part of, you know, that, that powering through can also be that, like, it should have happened by now, whatever the thing is. And, and just being like in a two-way conversation in life, which I think you are in your poses. A two-way conversation of like, where am I feeling strength and where am I not feeling strength? Uh, Where am I feeling flexible and where do I not feel flexible? And we want to feel strong in what we stand for and who we are in our lives, but not strong in such a way that it's, it's terse and it's, it's not fluid because I, as I say in the book, possibility is fluid and limitless and expectation is can shatter you know expectation is that terse uh limiting 
confining place to be. So just like in a pose, you have to be strong enough to stay in it, but you have to be fluid enough to, to listen to it and be in it. And, and that's, to me, in, in a very physical way, how we do one thing is how we do everything. We want to be open vessels and learn uh, and but be fluid. But God forbid somebody's in your spot in class. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed, I know. That's so funny. And then the other thing that you taught me um, was the concept of try everything. Will you tell your Joni Mitchell story? The do all of it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I was a, in another lifetime. I was a singer-songwriter. Uh, and I, um, I had the opportunity to meet Joni Mitchell a couple of times. And Joni Mitchell is the kind of person when you sit at the table, you just don't say anything because she is so smart and, and really knows everything that you just let her talk until the topic is cats. And then you're fine because I was a cat lover. She was a cat lover. We could talk about cats. But at her, um, during one of those conversations, she had said, she, you know, she's a painter. She's amazing. Her expression is, is in all different forms. And I got invited to her 50th birthday party. And um, so I painted her birthday card because based on conversations that we had had together. And so um, I, I presented the card to her and she took me aside and she said, it all comes from the same place, you know, painting, uh, music, writing, everything, do all of it. And I never forgot that. I, and it really is like whatever the creative expression is. And I think that's creating your life, uh, creating children, creating artwork, creating music, do all of it. And what that to me was too, is, um, to not confine yourself um, to the way you think it's supposed to be, to fill up your palate with experiences. You know, if, if you get invited to something that you think you're not interested in, go, because you just never know what you're going to take away. Maybe you just take away, I don't like that, and I'm never going back again. But to do all of it, to take the leap and to, to keep learning, and especially to do things that you're pretty sure you're going to suck at, you know, um, that, that that's really... An important part of being in the mud, it's an important part of the vulnerability that, you know, you can feel in your poses, you get vulnerable about like, I don't know if I'm doing this right, or I don't know if I can stay in this, but to, to be expansive with the lens and, and to, to stay curious, because um, that, that really, it, and then, you know, it will tell you sort of what it's supposed to come out as a, as a, as an idea, as a painting or whatever it is, but you don't want it to just, you know, have, have limited ingredients. You want your soup to be to have all kinds of spices, I think. Yes, and uh, I, I love that. Um, another life-changing thing has been the opportunity to go to some really magical places all over the world. Um, I've been on retreats with Andrea to Correas, Mexico, to Bali a few times. A few times. Uh, you also <laughs> um, have done Costa Rica, mm -hmm. Italy, all over. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about how that started and kind of how that just changed everything for you as well. Yeah, I, yoga I love traveling. And I really think that our yoga mats are magic carpets to look into our lives and to see the world. And um, it kind of goes to the blowing the walls off the studio is that um, you know, there's courage in numbers. And so a, a lot of times it's like sort of scary to go somewhere you're not familiar with or, um, you know, traveling takes us out of our comfort zone, um, just like many of the poses you're doing on your mat might. And so if we do it together, then we'll go. And I, and I, I found relatively early on in my career that if I said, hey, let's go over here, 
people would come with me. Uh, and, and I loved that. And it made the yoga, again, one of those, op- those opportunities to have yoga on your mat because we practice on the retreat, but off your mat to see different parts of the world. Uh, and that is some of that flexibility, and it's totally the do all of it. Um, and, uh, and it's just brought a richness to um, so many of our lives. And increasingly what I'm bringing into the retreats also is um, kind of a give back piece and a, a symbiotic um, learning not just about how beautiful the sites are, but learning some of the concerns of the places that we go and hearing from the people who are in the trenches with the concerns of what we're up to. We did that in uh, Thailand really recently. We went to the Nature Elephant Park, which is a a reserve for elephants um, that's pretty spectacular. This tiny little dynamo named Lek uh, is fighting the elephant mafia and making sure that there is a sanctuary for for elephants um, where they aren't mistreated and where they aren't um, ridden the way that they shouldn't be. Uh, And that was pretty extraordinary. We did yoga at the um, at the yoga park and then walked around and touched the elephants and, and were there. And then in Cambodia, um, we had a group, um, a, a, a kind of amazing woman named Somali mom was, um, has a, a safe house in, uh, Phnom Penh. And she brought a number of the survivors who are staff members and they told their stories and spoke to my group. And, um, sex trafficking is a huge issue, not just there, but around the world. And the stories that were told to us were jaw-dropping. And um, I work a bit with Lululemon. They donated a suitcase of yoga clothes to give the girls um, because in their healing, they use yoga. uh, And that was like a a way in which they, they, they don't often get new clothes. So it was very exciting and empowering for them to get new clothes to inspire the yoga program to continue. And the thing that struck me about the yoga program is here are these girls that are being brought out of brothels and they have a very complicated, um, self-loathing and it, it applies to their bodies. And, um, that yoga was kind of gave them this, this place to be able to do something different with their bodies and to feel their power back and like their bodies were their own. Um, and it was very significant so much so that, um, I actually have plans to go back to Cambodia and I'd like to, to, um, lead a teacher training so that yoga can integrate even more into a lot of these programs for sex trafficking and, and orphanage, um, I'm finding how complicated that is, um, that world of NGOs and, um, uh, and, and all that sort of thing. But that the, the, the horizon for me is something called the Abundance Collective that I'm building, and it's, it's give back. It will be aligned with retreats. It will be aligned with what I'm doing, with teacher trainings, and really finding symbiotic places where we can go and learn from them and we can um, leave something behind as a teacher tra- training credential or teaching meditation um, so that we're, we're learning from each other. Um, well, and I, I don't want to, you know, skim by that. I think that's really powerful. You could go back and teach more yoga. You could fundraise so they have yoga, but mm-hmm. to actually go teach the girls there how to teach yoga themselves, they can have it every single day. Well, I think it's um, very important to... to um to make sure that what you're building is an economy and the place that you're going and that you're not just sort of dropping something off and leaving and then there's nothing that um, that feels like it's sustainable about the equation. So what's significant to me is, uh, and they, they, the, the women in Cambodia have hair salons actually where it empowers the, the women to have businesses. They um, have a skill, which is the hair salon. And then um, Together One Heart, who's with the, who they work with, 
gives them the best products. So they have the best products and the best hairdressers, and that's bridging a cultural gap in that there is sort of a stigma between victims and the wealthy um, Cambodians. And so uh, it's, it's becoming this, this melting pot of everybody having a purpose and being at the same place without it being self-conscious. And um, so, you know, you don't know of those cultural gaps when you step in like I do, but you learn of them as you're putting together this idea. And that's, I'm learning that this is another thing that's going to take a lot of time to, for all the sensitivities and to do it right. So it does have a sustainable chip. And it's not just a novelty where I went and I taught and then I don't leave anything behind. So, you know, do, doing this right also matters to me. And, and we have a similar vision for Rwanda and, and on and on. So uh, those things are, that that's... Uh, I, I believe that's where the book drops you off and what the close to home community is about. And on that uh, close to home community, there will be save opportunities. So things like this, as I grow them, ways in which we can all do this together. Um, and that's really the shift in my vision is um, I love the classroom, being in the classroom, but letting the book drop us off and then pick us up and let's do this next thing together. So we have a lot to do. It's been uh, really great watching, you know, your classes and your teaching evolve over the years. And I've noticed in the last few years, meditation has become a bigger part of your practice. And mm -hmm. you've also led some meditation retreats or sessions and things uh -huh. like that. Mm -hmm. um, how does that fit into your life now? I think for a long time I thought I was meditating because I was doing yoga. And there's truth to that. And it's definitely um, an aspect of it. But a seated meditation practice, um, it, I think in some ways, takes that whole sort of discomfort of being in the pose to a whole new level because you're just there with yourself. And there aren't any poses to, to distract you anymore. You know, by the same token, there are people who come to yoga because they've been sitting and meditating, they're like, I better move around sometimes, you know, so we all come to it as we come to it. But for me, um, meditation really uh, resonated with me because the stop to start became very profound for me. Um, and I have to say, like, I am on the road, I travel quite a bit now. And my yoga asana practice might sort of fall away a little bit while I'm there. But I meditate every morning for 20 minutes, like I'm not a an extraordinary, you know, hours long meditator, but I'm consistent 20 minutes every morning. Um, I study with the Insight LA people, the Insight program I really like. There's plenty of, of places you can study, but mostly it's just that you have to do it. The annoying thing about <laughs> meditating is you just have to like set your alarm and sit there. And even if you sit and wonder why you can't sit still for 20 minutes, it's a starting point. Um, there's a lot of techniques that I lean into, but um, meditation is a huge thing for me. I think guided meditation is really helpful because you've got somebody walking you through it, whether that's recorded, and there's a lot of amazing recorded opportunities for that, or going and being a part of a retreat or a group. Um, but it's a it's a really important part of, uh, and, and then you realize also that like life is a meditation, and it brings you, it makes me more present to whatever it is that I'm up to. Yeah, and, and there's so many different things you can try. I mean, you on, meditate as well. On, you, you, yeah, yeah, on your watch, there's the breath app, and mm -hmm. you know, just breathing for a minute, like you were saying, the guided meditations. There's so many apps that there's three, five minutes. My favorite thing I've heard though is um, my friend Light Watkins says, We all know what to do if your computer is uh, acting slow or if your phone freezes you shut it off and you reset it. Yeah. And we have to do that for our brains too. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's I think an Anne Lamott quote. She says, "Every you, you can fix anything if you just turn it off for a few minutes." Or I just poorly par- paraphrased it, but there's something like that. Yeah, that's incredible. So, uh, thanks so much for hanging out today. Is there anything else you really want people to know, whether it be about the book or what's coming up or what's next? Well, I'd love for you to join the community at close2ohm.com. Definitely. I mean, let's let's do this. Let's hang. And, and um, you can find the book at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and IndieBound and hopefully your, you know, bookstores. Are there bookstores anymore? <laughs> my mom was an independent book owner, bookstore owner for 30 years. So um, my go, go to a book, go to a real bookstore sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I look forward to hearing from you and I, and you can access me through that website and I, I want to hear people's journeys. And for sure. Uh, how about what's on your social media? That oh, that, should go uh, at Andrea Markham is my Instagram. You can see that I'm not an Instagram star. It didn't even occur to me to give you my my stuff. Uh, at Andrea Markham and um, Facebook is Andrea Markham Yoga. And what else? Twitter is the Andrea Markham, I think. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Andrea. Thanks, Jewel. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank yeah. you.